Well, good morning. Thank you for braving the elements today. It's good to see you. Today we are going to conclude the series that we have been in over the past four weeks that we have been calling Welcome, a series on our purpose as a church, which in a nutshell, our purpose it is behind me or will be behind me on the screen in just a moment, but we are a community of followers of Jesus, and as we proclaim that Jesus is Lord and as we follow his ways, we are seeking to participate in his great work of restoration in our world, and we do that in a few ways. We do it first and foremost by discovering wholeness, by encountering the sacred, by caring about each other's journey and engaging in our surrounding culture. Now, over the past four weeks, we have looked in some detail at each of those points, at each of those ways that we participate in God's ongoing work of restoration in our world. Now, we have treated them out of order this year, so we started with our primary purpose of discovering wholeness. We, we find flourishing life in Jesus Christ, and then everything else about our purpose flows out of that life that we have discovered in Christ. We then talked about caring about each other's journey, the communal element of our purpose as a church, and last week we looked at mission. So the final installment of this series is going to focus on seeking an encounter of the living God in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, today is going to be a bit unusual as we want to focus in some detail on what we do when we gather here on Sundays. And I understand that we encounter God and Jesus Christ in all sorts of places, in all different kinds of ways outside of the four walls of this building. But when we gather here, our collective focus is on encountering Jesus Christ. And so rather than a traditional sermon today, I want to mix things up a little bit and simply walk through our typical liturgy on a Sunday morning and explain what we do and why. Because the liturgy that you find in your worship folder this morning, this isn't just haphazardly thrown together at the last minute, uh, but a lot of time and intentionality goes into developing this liturgy. And perhaps you've asked questions, well, why do you do things in that way? Why do you focus on this? Why do I see people occasionally lighting candles around the room? That seems to be pretty Catholic. Are you Roman Catholic? Well, the answer is no, but... This physical act, that the visible symbol of lighting a candle reminds us that whatever we're praying about, Christ is bringing the light of his truth into the darkness of our situation. And so there are a lot of these unique practices, not unique to us, but maybe different from traditions some folks come from. And there are these practices that we engage in, and there is meaning behind them, but maybe you might be unfamiliar with that. So we want to just walk through this a little bit today. Now, at the beginning of this conversation, we also want to acknowledge that the way we go about our worship service, this is not the only way to do it, obviously. Um, the, the routines that we have incorporated into our worship experience, they are not in and of themselves sacred. In, in fact, I think that's evidenced by the fact that one of the things we try to do when we gather is blend a variety of different uh, routines and practices from various traditions. And so we craft a service in a particular way, but that form is not superior to another form. It works for us. 
we find a lot of meaning in some of these practices, but it's obviously not the only way to worship. I think that's also evidence in the fact that there have been changes and will probably continue to be alterations in some of those specifics of the form of our worship over the years. So the form of our worship and the liturgy we follow is not in and of itself sacred, but we do believe that these intentional routines, these actions that we participate in over the long haul will aid us in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. So we're just going to walk through this today. On just about every other chair, you'll find a worship folder. It's just a small piece of paper. If you open that up, it actually has the day's liturgy on that. You can just follow through if you have one of those. Otherwise, some of this will be on the screen behind me. So every Sunday, we begin, as we did today, with a call to worship, during which we are welcomed into the presence of Christ. We begin our time together by first of all responding to God's invitation. So the entire worship experience, our encounter with Christ, is initiated by God and we are responding to that invitation. We acknowledge this as we begin every Sunday. We reflect on and we declare God's attributes God's character, proclaiming God's glory, and often, as it was today, this is done through the psalm that has been assigned to that day. So the psalms are the longest book in our Bible, and they have been used by the church since the beginning as a prayer book and as a hymnal, and in fact, the use in that way of the psalms predates the church by a lot. The the psalms were the hymnal for the people of Israel long before the temple even existed in Jerusalem. We see in the Gospels that Jesus himself prayed the Psalms. And so as Christians, this collection of hymns represents an important part of our spirituality. And so we want to immerse ourselves in the Psalms, first of all, because our spiritual ancestors did. We see Jesus himself immersed himself in the Psalms. And so we want to follow that pattern. The Psalms in that way connect us to worshipers of the past. I like what N.T. Wright said of the centrality of the Psalms in his life. He said, for me, to think about the Psalms is like thinking about breathing. We all breathe, but we very rarely think, consciously think about inhaling and exhaling, right? We just do it. And as we immerse ourselves in the Psalms, they just become a part of who we are. We don't even consciously think about them, but they are leading us into the future. And so our call to worship is an intentional way to orient our minds and our hearts, to give ourselves a focal point for everything that is going to follow in the next hour. We are reminded through this of the love of God who invites us into worship, and not only invites us, but as Tim mentioned in, during our prayer response, not only invites us, but accepts our meager and always incomplete forms of worship. So we begin by responding to God's invitation to worship. Following our call to worship, we begin singing together. Now, this portion of the, sto- uh, of the service 
in the tradition I was raised in, and maybe for many of you as well, this portion of the service has often been referred to as the worship service, right? And we have sought to try to get away from that a little bit, not because singing isn't worship. No, of course, singing is a part of our worship, but we've sought to get away from that understanding of worship because everything that we do during this gathering is worship. The, the prayers that we utter, the conversations we have with one another, um, listening to the gospel being proclaimed and ultimately culminating around this table as we gather for the Eucharist, it is all worship. But every week we do take significant portion of our time to join our voices in song. And by the way, I think I would be remiss to not take this opportunity to publicly thank all of our musicians and to thank Kevin for his leadership in this ministry. In fact, I don't think Kevin's in here, so it's pointless. <laughs> Did he leave? Unbelievable. I'll thank him and all of our musicians anyway. Um, we are so grateful um, and we are so blessed to have wonderful musicians and vocalists. You, you just don't find the quality of musicianship that we have in churches of our size. In fact, I don't think you find it in a lot of larger churches a lot of times, and we, we don't deserve it, we, but we are incredibly grateful. Um, and not only for the great musicianship that we have, but also um, we are fortunate to have musicians and leaders that are very thoughtful in crafting um, a set list and providing a wonderful aid for us so that we can declare our trust together in song and so that we can retell the great story that we are a part of and plant ourselves in the truths of scripture all the while taking our minds to Jesus Christ. So there are reasons that we sing songs together every week. This isn't just some sort of group karaoke session, although that might be fun sometime, but that's not what this is. It's not a concert where we are observers taking in this musical content, um, but there are reasons that we do this. Singing has been an important part of the church throughout the ages, and rightfully so. I think, first of all, it's important because there is something about music that is special, that stirs human emotion, that connects with us in a way that words in a sermon or maybe words in a prayer simply cannot do. There's Kevin. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. You, you missed uh, all of my gushing words, so. But welcome back. Singing and songs, music has that ability to stir human emotion in, in a way that words in a sermon or even words in a prayer may not be able to do. Secondly, songs have a way of getting into our heads. I think we've all experienced that. In fact, yesterday morning, we were eating breakfast, and Nanette just randomly says, do you remember that song, El Shaddai, by Amy Grant? Some of you may know that song. I hadn't thought of that song probably since second grade, but immediately all of the lyrics are going through my head. It is just a part of me, for better or worse. It is in my head and it cannot be removed. And songs have that ability. And as we sing songs through repetition, those songs are ingrained in us. And the theology, what those songs teach us about God and what they teach us about our lives in this world, it informs our spirituality. 
Like everything we do, the songs that we sing help form us and they shape our conceptions of God. So this is a really important time for us. So where we are, we are welcomed into worship at God's initiation, by God's invitation, we sing songs together. And after we have joined our voices in song, we join together in corporate prayer. Now, this is one area where there might be some divergence from the tra tradition that our congregation was birthed out of. Um, and again, one of the important things to us when it comes to our Sunday morning worship gathering is that we do hope to blend some of the rich traditions of the ancient church with more contemporary forms of worship. So we don't want to discard the beautiful traditions of the past but we also want to be open to the new ways, the fresh ways the Spirit might be leading the church today to encounter uh, encounters with God. But we also want to take advantage of some of the rich tradition that is available to us. And so many of our prayers during this time of a corporate prayer response have been handed down to us. Almost always these prayers are planned ahead of time. They are written down, and um, we follow along with the liturgy that we have provided. Now, for some of you that come from a Pentecostal tradition, as some in this room do, this may seem a little bit weird. If it doesn't seem weird, it might at, least, at the very least seem new or unfamiliar. And, and personally, as a Pentecostal, I am all in favor of spontaneous and even emotional prayer. I think there is a time and a place for it. But the reason we pray these pre-written prayers is at least twofold. There are probably many other reasons. But first of all, these pre-written prayers that have been handed down to us, they help us focus our minds and our hearts. I know one of my tendencies, if I, if I am in a worship gathering and somebody is leading a spontaneous prayer, my mind almost always begins to wander. I begin thinking about what's going on in my week, what's going on that morning. Um, my, my mind cannot stay focused on what I want it to stay focused on. And these pre-written prayers give us something solid to focus our attention on. Furthermore, when I am given to my own devices, my prayers often mirror my anxieties, and that's not necessarily uncalled for in prayer, but I do think prayer must be more than just a rehearsal of my anxious thoughts, more than just a rehearsal of the things that I happen to need in that mom moment, and these planned corporate prayers can, I think, a lot of times pull us out of the self-centered, anxious prayers and give us an opportunity to Pray for something other than ourselves, to pray for others, to intercede, to pray for the world, to pray for the church at large, etc. So that's one reason we take this approach. The second reason we find this to be meaningful is that in joining together in common prayer, we are reminded that the faith we're a part of is bigger than just me. So we join our voices and our prayers, and in so doing, we acknowledge the fact that there are no distinctions within the body of Christ. We are uttering the same prayers. So an intellect with a theological bent is not superior. We're reminded of that through these corporate prayers. So 
an individual who enjoys thinking deeply about theology and maybe even does it in a professional capacity, and the one who has a simple faith, they join their voices together in common praise. So corporate prayer is not an opportunity for one individual to express their heightened spiritual state or their theological lexicon or vocabulary. This is a time where we express our unity, where we focus our hearts and our minds together in unison. Now, for us, this time may include corporate confession, as it did this morning. And In fact, if you follow the daily office, that prayer of confession is a daily part of your prayer life. If you attend our midweek prayer service, as Austin mentioned, we pray that prayer of confession every week. And at times, our prayers of confession on a corporate level will be followed by subsequent words of absolution. We also routinely affirm our faith through one of the historic church creeds during this time. And Over the years, as we return to these similar confessions and as we return to these faith affirmations and prayers of the ancient church, I believe that those practices can help in forming our faith. If we're not just going through the motions, um, if we're putting some intentionality behind it, these practices can help form our faith. So we pray together as a body. We then pass the peace. We greet one another and verbally express our prayer and our trust that Christ's peace would be known in their life and in their situation. And we really want this time to be more than just a formality where we go up to somebody and say, the peace of Christ be with you. We we want this to be a time, we, we try to allow several minutes where you can actually have a brief conversation with somebody where you can see how they're doing, and maybe even set up a time to get a cup of coffee or to to have a meal together outside of our Sunday morning service. We want it to be more than a formality, but really a genuine expression for our desire that peace would be known in their situation, and then also an acceptance that I may have a responsibility in helping to bring peace into your situation. And I'm not going to be aware of that if I don't have a conversation with you. So I say, the the peace of Christ be with you. And then I follow it up. How are things going? How can I help bring peace into your situation? So we pass the peace. And as we pass the peace, typically before we pass the peace, we dismiss our children who have been with us for the first half of our service. And There are a couple of reasons, again, that we have adopted this format over the past year or so. First of all, we believe that our children are an integral part of this community. They're not the future of the church, but they are a part of the body even now. And so we want to begin introducing them to our practices of worship. We want to introduce them to our habit of praying through the psalms and the singing of songs and our prayers of confession and our affirmations of faith. We, we want our children to, from a young age, see us engage in these practices, and we also want to instill in them from a young age that they are a part of the whole. But we do also want to give them an opportunity for some instruction an education that is geared towards their developing brains. And that's what happens when they leave this room. Now, with that being said, we don't require that kids go to those various rooms. Kids are always more than welcome to stay in here with us throughout the duration of our service. But 
if your children choose to go back to those rooms, this is what's going on. They begin by looking at our scriptures sort of through a wide lens. This is what our scriptures are. Our scriptures reveal Jesus Christ. Everything we read in them is pointing us to Jesus. And then they spend some time diving into a specific story from our scriptures. And we are trusting that through this time of instruction, Jesus will begin to mold their hearts. Even from a young age, that he will plant in them a desire to know him. Hillary and Austin have also worked very hard to develop a supplemental review of what the kids discuss every Sunday to reinforce those lessons and to reinforce those scriptures that have been taught that week. And this is a great resource for parents or for caregivers of children to be involved in the process um, and, and to keep the conversation that was started on Sunday, to keep that conversation going for your children. What happens in those various classrooms is really important to the life of our community. It's not just childcare, but it is a part of the ministry of our body. And for those of you, I know many in this room are involved in helping out in those classes. I wanna say thank you for your commitment and for your faithfulness to that ministry. And for those who are looking for a place to get involved, this would be a good place to start. Not just because we have a great need in that area, but also because it is such a critical part of the life of our community. So we pass the peace, we dismiss our children to their various rooms, and then likely the most mundane part of the service, some of the practical matters, we collect tithes and offerings. We collect the contributions that are made for ministry, for missions, and for the life of the body. And though this is practical and seemingly mundane, it is a part of our worship. We worship God as we express trust in God by giving away a portion of our finances that we have been blessed with. And I think it's appropriate to view this as an act of worship. It's not just a practical thing that we do, but it is a part of our worship experience. We express our trust in God through these tangible means. Following our worship through giving, our worship through congregational announcements, just before the sermon, we set aside time to read through a lengthier section of Scripture. We did that this morning through the Gospel of Luke. Most Sundays, that Scripture reading comes from one of the texts that was assigned to that Sunday in the lectionary. If you're unfamiliar with the lectionary, it is simply a collection or an arrangement of Scriptures that follows the various seasons on the church calendar and helps lead the church through those seasons. So in the lectionary, there are usually four, sometimes five or six texts that have been assigned to that Sunday. It will include a psalm, an Old Testament reading, always a gospel reading, and then another New Testament reading from one of the epistles or acts. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary. You can find it on a variety of websites if you Google Revised Common Lectionary. Many traditions follow this lectionary, including Catholics and Anglicans, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, etc. And there are a couple of reasons that we follow it more or less throughout the year. First of all, there are millions of Christians around the globe, even today, reciting, meditating on, reading these same passages that very day. And I think there's something special about that. It's difficult to put it into words. It's not 
a tangible value, but there's something special about voicing our common witness as followers of Jesus by simply focusing on similar texts that day. It's a simple way for us to say and for us to be reminded, look, we are a part of something that is bigger than just us. We are a part of a global family, and we are mysteriously connected to believers around the world, even believers that we don't know exist. So we follow the the lectionary for that reason. Secondly, an added benefit is that it forces us to read passages that we might not choose to read on our own. For instance, if it's up to me, I am almost always going to go to the New Testament, and more specifically, I will almost always go to the Gospels. And that's not, I think that's a good thing. That's where our scriptures are leading, so that's not bad to end up in the Gospels, but the entirety of our scriptures are telling the story of God rescuing the world through Jesus Christ. The entirety of our scriptures are are pointing to Jesus, and so it is good for us to be forced to deal with scriptures that we might, might not choose to deal with. So after the scripture has been read, Whoever is reading the text with a recognition of that fact, they will say the word of the Lord or this is the word of the Lord. And we respond as a congregation, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we believe and we affirm that Jesus Christ is the word of God. We sang that in the first song we sang together this morning. We're listening to your word. We're listening to Jesus Christ. We, We believe that God is revealed perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, but our scriptures are bearing witness to, our scriptures are pointing to God revealed in Jesus Christ. And insofar as our scriptures are leading us to Jesus Christ, they are the word of God to us. So the words in our scriptures point to Jesus Christ, who makes them real, makes them come alive to us, and these words then guide our lives, and because of that, we say thanks be to God. Whether the text that we just read was encouraging or comforting or difficult to hear, or maybe it was quite troubling to read, whatever the case might be, we say thanks be to God for your self-revelation to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and our scriptures are bearing witness to that self-revelation. And then we get to the sermon, which this hasn't really been a sermon, but nonetheless, that's what typically takes place during this time. And the sermon is not really exclusively about just reading the Bible and figuring out how I can apply it to my life so that I can make my life better. I think that's a byproduct, and I think there will always be ways in which we can apply the scriptures we have read to our lives in either a direct or an indirect way, but... First and foremost, the sermon is a time when we simply tell the story of God's people. This is the story we find in our scriptures, and every week we retell that story. We proclaim the good news that Christ is king, that God has acted in our world to save the world through Jesus Christ to restore everything that was shattered by sin. That's the thrust of the entirety of our holy scriptures, and as we read them and reflect on them, investigate them. We retell this wonderful, wonderful story that has changed our lives and trust that in so doing, our trust in the God of the Bible will be deepened. And then in response to all of it, 
in response to the scriptures that we have read, the songs that we sang, the prayers that we uttered together, the proclamation of the gospel. We respond to everything that the Spirit has stirred in our hearts through the practice of coming to this table, the table of our Lord. Kevin, if you all want to come up, and Austin, if you want to join me as we prepare to celebrate around the table. This is the practice that we refer to as the Eucharist, which if you've heard that word and are unfamiliar with what it means, it simply means thanksgiving. It is also referred to as Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. And during this practice that we engage in on a weekly basis, we commemorate the Last Supper that Christ shared with his disciples before his crucifixion. I want to read a brief account of that event from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 19. It says this, Jesus together with his disciples, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Amen. This is my body. This is my blood. And as you come forward, you hear those words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. For us, communion is a sacrament. It's a physical act, a tangible, with tangible elements through which we believe God's grace is being conveyed to our lives as we participate something that we can't explain or put words to, but we believe that Jesus Christ is present with us in this meal in a mysterious but in a very real way. We believe he meets with us, that through this meal he sustains us as we remember and proclaim his death and look forward to his resurrection. This is what we join together in now, if you'd stand. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've spent quite a bit of time over the past month in 1 Corinthians, actually in this part of 1 Corinthians, but in that chapter, after quoting Jesus from Luke chapter 22, Paul says this, beginning in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. We invite you to join in this celebration with us. We'll form two lines down the center aisle. We'll hand you the elements and you can take them on your own. Let's say a prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the community that you have blessed us to be a part of. We pause and express our gratitude for the ways in which you have revealed yourself to us over the years, in the past months, the past weeks, and even today, the ways that we are encountering you through these routines and these rituals that we participate in. We pray that they would be more than just motions that we go through, but that as we intentionally engage in these practices, these physical actions, speaking of words, focusing our minds, that those practices would begin shaping our hearts and over the course of our lives that we would be drawn into deeper conformity, growing to the full stature of Jesus Christ. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the life that is available to us. We celebrate that this morning through these elements. We respond to your invitation.